and I loved it. I send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking plane crashes. We're talking very unusual deaths. We're talking characters named after famous horror directors. I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And it's interesting, not very unusual deaths compared to what this franchise would do further down the line. They're so tame compared to later deaths, but then... The first time you watch this, it's a little crazy. Yes, but before we get to the film, I would like to introduce our very special guest. You have read his film and television reviews on his rapidly growing and very insightful website, Gaily Dreadful. Please welcome the supremely awesome and wickedly talented Terry Menard. Wickedly talented? Hey, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here, Terry. Thanks. I'm really looking forward to be Rube Goldberg to death tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Like, okay, so I haven't seen this. The f- sorry, we're talking about Final Destination. Um, yes, we, we, the first week of wait, our wait, wait, franchises. Wait. We're talking about Final Destination, not the Final Destination, like the the <laughs> oh, best <God>. sequel. <laughs> Terry, you can show yourself out. Oh. Wait, are you being serious or are you following my, are you trolling me? Because I did a Twitter thread about this the other day and some people came out of the woodworks. I'm sorry, they're actually listeners to to defend the final destination. And I was like, I, I don't know. (laughs) Uh, No, I am. I am definitely not trolling. I am not a troll. I hate, I hate that movie so bad. Oh, it was bad. Admittedly, I haven't seen it since it came to theaters. I saw it the same weekend that uh, I saw Halloween 2, uh, Rob Zombie's one, because they both came out the same weekend in uh, 2009. (laughs) What a great weekend for horror. (laughs) Yes. But maybe I'm due for a rewatch, because I did buy the four-film box set uh, for this podcast. Um, Anyway, so I haven't seen this, though, in a long time, because I don't revisit this one very often. I typically revisit 2, 3, and 5. But I was surprised at how strongly this, like, or how well this held up. Yeah, I, 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 um, it, this, this run one really resonates with me because, uh, it scared the crap out of me when I was, uh, I think it was like 19 at the time. And, uh, I remember specifically that we were going on a, on a plane trip in a couple oh, months. <laughs> and it had been the first time I'd been on a plane in probably 10 years. And, uh, yeah, I, I was absolutely terrified. I was checking all of the, the trays and making sure that nothing was gonna, fall out on me it was it was great well and also just think about because this well uh, actually here well, let me let me start with just what when this came out so we are talking about final destination which came out on march 17th of 2000 now i wanted to bring that up because can you imagine if this had come out a year and a half later oh it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been released yeah they would have had to reshoot a bunch of this or maybe even scrap the plane crash entirely and um for some reason if listeners you don't know what we're referring to we are referring to 9-11 it feels like such a long time ago and yet when you watch this and you're like oh it's a plane crash like i don't know about youtube but that was literally the very first thing i thought of is like nope none of this would have happened no it would have been completely taken care of even though it's not like a terrorist attack in the movie um although i guess you technically is because it's death attacking them and blowing the plane up i think the real terrorist here is alex alex is the terrorist <laughs> anyway uh, this is distributed by new line cinema and has a runtime of 98 minutes and a budget of 23 million dollars i was a little surprised to see though that the opening weekend is so it opened at number three with 10 million dollars and it kind of basically just kept staying in the top not in the top but like it was like in, in the top of like the 
top 10 for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it ended up grossing $53.3 million domestically and an international gross of $59.5 million. So it ended up making a total of $112.9 million on its $23 million budget, which is why we have four sequels. And I think people genuinely like the premise, right? Like this is the start of a franchise. It's why we're doing it this week, because this kicked off a slate of sequels. And I think proved to people that there were alternative ways of doing a slasher-inspired, somewhat supernatural film, which at that time, you know, really, we were firmly in the grasp of Scream knockoffs, so it was kind of aping on that, but also sort of doing its own thing. Yeah, well, and it's interesting because basically the opening weekends for each of the films grew, grew every every single installment, except for the fifth one, which coincidentally is one of the better ones. The first one went from 10 million opening, the second one was 16, third one was 19, and the fourth one was 27 million, obviously helped by the 3D ticket prices. And then the fifth one dropped down to 18 million opening. Thanks a lot, The Final Destination. Well, basically, because each successive film gets punished or rewarded based on the strength of the other films, two and three are pretty good. And then four is like the armpit of the franchise. So number five, I think there's also a gap between four and five, isn't there? Yeah, no, it's two a two-year gap. I mean, the fourth one was 2009. The fifth one was 2011, so eight years ago. Okay. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but, and we're all officially old. <laughs> but, and I know, like, you know, maybe if, like, you aren't super into box office numbers, but basically this movie, you know, opened number three. It was still number three its second weekend, but then it dropped to number seven and then nine, nine, nine. But it never dropped more than 30% each weekend, which is a pretty good holdover, especially for a horror film. Some of that's probably me, because I think I saw it about three or four times in the movie theater. <laughs> I was 11 when this came out, so uh. I... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see it in theaters, but I remember my parents renting it, and my dad could not stop talking about the bus scene. That you know, that still today is is really surprising. It is. So who's in this movie? Who directed it? Well, hold it? on, we have to go with reception first. So, oh, oh, only one movie in this franchise has a fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. By the way, can y'all guess which one it is? The fifth one. I looked. Yes, it does. What? Yeah. Really? The yeah. fifth one is the only one with a fresh score. The worst score, I think, is the fourth one. But on okay. but, so the first one has a Rotten Tomato score of thirty four percent. Oh come on! You know why? That's because people were like, "Oh, this is just another teen film. It's stupid." Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was definitely a, a fatigue. I would say. I mean, yeah, it's like your post-screen era, which, I mean, also something I learned in the... I listened to some of the commentary until I realized that all of the IMDb trivia is literally the commentary. <laughs> oh, is oh, it? Yeah, I listened to the director's one. Yes. But it was going to star adults until Scream came out. And then, you know, they were like, oh, we got to make it kids. Can you imagine this film with adults? It'd be really kind of weird, actually. Well, I mean, the fifth one is adults. Like, they're young adults, yeah. but they are they're adults working in an office. Right. Yeah, okay. that's true. So, good point. If they look like they could be on the CW, I'm always like, mm, for sure. You're appealing to a certain. I'm market. right there with you. Uh, but your audience score is a, is a 68 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's good there. There we go. But then Metacritic, 36 out of 100, but the audience score of 8.6 out of 10. <laughs> but I would argue that films like this are hurt by that kind of rating system because you're going to get your people, as we've talked about for a couple yeah. of weeks now. The you're going to get the critics from like Variety and Rolling Stone. And that's not the target demographic for a film like this. Yeah. But randomly, Ebert liked this movie. He gave it a three out of four. 
It's why I ended up going to see it. Actually, it was because of him. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is weird because I mean, because he you know he says you know he did that you know dead. I don't know if he coined the term dead teenager movie or if like he just used it a lot. But he always referred to slashers as those dead teenager movies, and he basically said yeah. this is the exact same thing, but it's a clever spin on it. Which is true. I mean, it is a slasher film kind of through and through. Well, and the other thing is, is that um, I, I was surprised at watching it this time about how the lack of morality is. Because you, you, you think about most like slasher films and there's usually, you know, the, the promiscuous teens or, you know, that kind of thing. But other than than Carter's uh, alcoholism <laughs> inspired from the uh, the crash, no one is really a, a quote unquote bad teen. No one is being punished for bad things that they've mm-hmm. done quote unquote they just seem like regular somewhat asshole teens yeah actually no i think all of them are very likable um even like, like i actually love the well i guess it wasn't really back then but now when you look at it it is but the against type casting of sean william scott as billy who was written as a fat kid like a fat nerd in the script but they just liked him so much that they rewrote like the description for him yeah i, I always thought that that his character is like he's playing stifler but the guy that stifler would pick on. yeah exactly and i actually like him a that's lot. that's actually very funny that they wrote him as a bigger size character because thinking about it this is a hot cast oh it really is and they were at the top of their game at that time well, yeah because i'm trying, cause this is 2000 so i mean like Kerr smith you know he's in the middle of roswell uh devin sawa just come well okay well here Kerr smith Wait, is Dawson's. Kerr smith is not on oh fuck no that's, that's Dawson's Creek. i was thinking of um Brendan Fair, who plays Todd's brother, <laughs> who yeah. I was surprised when I originally saw it died in like you know the, the plane crash because he was a pretty big uh, actor at that time, really hot. Well, no, on Ro- I mean I watched Roswell. I wonder if that was a bait and switch, like they made you think that certain people were going to live because they cast relative. Maybe, or is there anybody else on there? I thought the girls were going to survive, the hot girls. Wait, 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 I have to get this out though. So okay, so did, did either one of y'all watch Roswell? Yep. No. Okay, so there's. Uh, J- fuck Jason Bear it's Jason Bear and Brendan, and Brendan Fair, Fair. <laughs> and, and then Kerr Smith on Dawson's Creek so there's Kerr Bear and Fair and I would always get them confused every time welcome back to fuck Mary Hill <laughs> right well in Kerr Smith uh, he was you know on Dawson's Creek and he was playing a, a, a gay guy and he had his first male gay kiss on television yes and I, I never watched Dawson's Creek and I feel like I a bad Ke- Kevin Williamson fan for not having watched it but I think Joe might have things to say about Kerr Smith Kerr 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 Kerr, Kerr Smith and his gay characters on this episode so we'll see mm-hmm. but <laughs> anyway let's just run down our little uh, our casting call right here so first uh, the film is directed by james wong who also directed the one uh with jet lee he also uh returned to the franchise for final destination 3 and he also directed dragon ball evolution oh dear i know and uh, of course several episodes of the x-files and more than mm-hmm. more than several the script was co-written by Glenn Morgan, James Wong, and from a story by Jeffrey Reddick. So he actually wrote, like, Reddick wrote the main first script, and, like, you know, Wong and Morgan kind of came in and, like, did a tune-over. But um, Reddick hasn't done a ton of stuff since this movie, but he did write the mid-2000s Jenna Dewan Carrie movie, Tamara. He wrote the 2008 remake of Day of the Dead. He wrote Dead Awake, the sleep paralysis movie with Jocelyn Donahue. And then he also did a movie this year called The Final Wish with Lin Shay that I haven't seen, but I've heard is actually pretty good. Oh, is it? Okay. I mean, you know. I've heard mixed things. I've heard she's good and the movie is like iffy. I mean, the movie kind of sounds like Wishmaster, I think is what I mean. I, I haven't seen it yet. I'm, I, I actually like I think it's on VOD right now, but um, 
it's, you know, I'll watch Lin Shay in almost anything. Well, and it was also just announced that he's uh, doing his first uh, directorial debut for a movie called Good Samaritan, I think. Oh, well, I saw his, uh, he announced that, but I didn't know if like they actually named the movie. When they announced it, they came out with the name and I think a couple of members of the principal cast. Ah, gotcha. Well, also, um, part of the reason we're covering this film, Jeffrey Reddick is an out and proud queer man. So yay, representation. Absolutely. He's also lovely on Twitter if you're he not really following is. him. So if you want to engage with him, he will chat with people freely. P.S. Um, I actually have seen Tamara. And I mean, it's not like a super great movie, but it's it's like it's a lot of fun. It looks fun. It's a lot of fun. So anyway, uh, the actor who was in this movie, first you got Devin Sawa, who um, viewers may know from. I feel like Idle Hands is his biggest thing that people know him from, even though I've never seen it. It's good. It is. It's fun. He was also Casper. I was saying he played the live version of Casper and Casper. And for my CW nerds out there, he was also in a, quite a few episodes of Nikita with Maggie Q. You also, if I remember correctly, see his ass in uh, Slackers. I've never seen Slackers either. <laughs> I don't think I've seen Slackers either. It's not good. Oh, okay. Anyway, uh, we've also got Allie Larder, who I think at the Woo-hoo! time, so at the time this came out, I think Varsity Blues was her biggest hit, but she was in House of Haunted Hill the year before this, which is really funny considering she plays an adult in that movie and a teenager in this one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Um, and of course, she's also in Legally Blonde and she plays, oh, 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 how about this? She plays Clear in this movie and Claire in Resident Evil 3, 4, and 6. Hell yeah, she does. <laughs> <laughs> So are we just are we in agreement that we're going to refer to her as clear? No, I mean her name is clear, but they pronounce it Claire, do they not? No, they pronounce it clear. One hundred. You know, Clear Rivers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, part of the problem might be their accents keep changing. Like sometimes it is about uh, a, a New Jersey accent, and sometimes oh my God. it's not. Todd, Todd. I know. Once in a what while, is the it's actor just... who is playing Todd doing. <laughs> Todd is played by Chad E. Danella, who was in Disturbing Behavior before this, but oh, right. but he's also the really obnoxious cop in Saw 3D. God, who can remember? I do, because there's a scene when he confronts Betsy Russell. Um, he's talking to her, and he's like, you're crazy since the first moment I ever met you. I know just how crazy you are. Crazy. It's the funniest line delivery. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that one. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. Yeah, that's also living solely for 3D. But. Yeah, but I mean, like, I, I could vouch for most of the movies in that franchise, but I, I mean, the the seventh one, 3D, is, is an abomination to cinema. It's really bad. We've also got Sean Williams. Scott is Billy, as we've already said, American Pie, Goon, Southland Tales, and a bunch of other things. Curse Smith, Dawson's Creek. He was also in My Bloody Valentine 3D. Oh, God, he's so terrible in that. Yeah, I mean, I like that movie, but he's not great in it. I mean, let's let's just get it out on the table. He's awful in everything, he's including not very this. Good. I mean, I think he's fine here. He's just playing a terrible character. I find him and Todd to be very one note. Todd doesn't really have a lot to do except say, hey, let's go take a shit together and then die. <laughs> let's take two shits. I, dude, I have, I have, yes, I need to know... Also, I want to know if that was Reddick's in Reddick's original draft or if Glenn Morgan and James Wong added those <laughs> that in later. But yeah, so we've also got Kristen Cloak playing the teacher, Miss Luton. Uh, she was Woo-hoo. also, and Joe, you told me this, she's married to Glenn Morgan. Yes. And was also in his remake of Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, of course, there's a little actor in this movie named Tony Todd who plays the mortician Bloodworth. And of course, he's in Candyman, uh, Night of the Living Dead remake. And um, didn't know this, but he was in Platoon. Oh, I didn't know that. Joe, what is Final Destination about? All right, here we go. Okay. 
So Alex Browning is packing for a school field trip to Paris, France, along with 40 other students from his French class. Superstitious by nature, Alex notices a series of ominous signs before getting on the plane, where he promptly has a vivid vision of the plane blowing up shortly after takeoff. He warns his fellow students in a very alarming fashion, and in the ensuing chaos, he and six other passengers, including poop-obsessed best friend Todd, teacher Miss Luton, <laughs> closet homosexual Carter and his beard Terry, dim-witted Billy, and sensitive artist Clear, they're all ejected from Flight 180. The plane then blows up spectacularly, killing everyone on board in the exact same manner that Alex predicted. After being questioned and released by FBI agents Wine and Shrek, oh god, yeah, those names, the group reconvenes at the school memorial 38 days later. That night, Todd is killed by death in a terribly convoluted fashion, but it is dismissed as a suicide. Clear and Alex go to the morgue seeking answers, where they learn from the creepy morgue attendant Bloodworth that Todd was merely the first in death's grand plan to collect them all. Terry is then destroyed by a bus shortly thereafter. <laughs> destroyed like, by a bus. Spectacularly <laughs> destroyed. I'm feeling very attacked right now. <laughs> <laughs> only, only female Terrys need worry about that. Oh, good. Yeah. Alex believes he can crack the code, and using a schematic of the explosion through the plane, he deduces Miss... L Miss Luton is the next victim. In the film's greatest set piece, she is stabbed in the neck by exploding computer shrapnel, bleeds all over her home, accidentally stabbed in the chest by falling knives hidden under a hand towel, and then has the knife rammed into her chest further by a falling chair. Wait, pause. You are forgetting when the trail of vodka that she drips lights a flame from the exploding computer and mousetraps its way over to blow up her stove. This is true. I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess that does end up contributing to her. Yeah, that's how the chair falls over. That's how, like... Whatever. Continue. <laughs> so she dies, and uh, Alex becomes the prime suspect. So Clearer tries to talk to him at the beach, and they're picked up by the remaining survivors. Carter, who is the next in line, joyrides through town and is nearly killed on the train tracks, but Alex intervenes and saves him. Billy is then promptly decapitated, proving that victims can be bypassed, but that death will jump to the next person. Alex locks himself in Clear's cabin like a madman, but eventually realizes that because he switched seats, Clear is actually the next victim. She nearly dies a dozen different ways before <laughs> he arrives, ultimately sacrificing himself to thwart death's design. In the coda, the happy thruple travel to Paris six months later, but a spooked Alex realizes the game may not be over. He is saved by death by Carter, who looks destined to die by a giant swinging 180 sign as the screen goes black. So I actually never really cared for this coda. Um, I know I'm just jumping right to the end, but I just never really cared for it until I watched on my Blu-ray what the original ending was. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Terry, you know this? Oh, I didn't watch the deleted scenes, but when I was listening to the uh, the commentary, I know that the original, uh, one of the original plans was that Clear would be pregnant oh, and wasn't going to be killed because she has an innocent soul in her body. And then the moment she gives birth, death comes rushing in and kills her. That was in the original. I don't know if that's what was in the, was okay. actually filmed. So in the deleted scenes, her and Alex fuck on the beach. Whenever like they go to find him, it doesn't show the sex scene. It's like they start making out and then it cuts away and then boom, like the train scene is next. But get this. So there's three deleted scenes. One is the extended beach scene. The second deleted scene is called pregnancy test. And it is literally, <laughs> literally a 15 second clip of her looking at a pregnancy test, throwing it in the trash, and then it shows that it's positive. Like, there's no other, like, context to the scene. I don't know where they would have put it. <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. 
And the movie is so compressed. <laughs> yeah. That, like, I don't know when they would have done it. That would have kicked off her attack scene. So she would have thrown the pregnancy test into the garbage and the garbage would have spontaneously combusted, lighting her entire second floor on fire. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then, basically, the ending plays out most of the same. Like, the pool, the house trying to kill her in a bunch of different ways, she's in the car, Alex picks up the wire and basically bursts into flames and dies. Um, So he does die there. And then it cuts to her giving birth in a hospital. She's then living in Alex's bedroom with his parents, because as as she has said, the... Her parent, her dad died and her mom just abandoned her and she's apparently living on her own. Paying that rent somehow? Yeah. And then the final scene of the film has Clear at the gravestone, like the memorial of all the kids. And Carter comes up and she's holding the baby and they just kind of talk. And it's kind of a sweet, like emotional ending. And then it just like a leaf falls on the screen and it blacks out. There's another extra feature on the Blu-ray, though, about the uh, test screenings. And people hated that. And they hated that Carter survived. <laughs> so <laughs> they went back and reshot the six months later ending, which is also why Allie Lauder is blonde in those, those reshoots. Makes sense. I mean, it. I remember watching this the very first time and thinking that the coda felt slightly different. Like, you could tell that some time had passed between the actors shooting the rest of the film and this. But for some reason, I never clued into the fact that her hair is a completely different color. (laughs) (laughs) I was an idiot when I used to watch films in the late 90s, I think. (laughs) I picked it up, but I just assumed it was uh, to show that time had passed. I mean, yeah, that's totally what it does. But, like, when you know there's reshoots, it's like, oh, like, (laughs) she'd already been filming Legally Blonde at that point, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think she's because she's blonde in nearly every other role that I've ever seen her in. Hey, except for Resident Evil. Right. Uh, True. Yeah. Joe, don't give mm. me that shit. Those movies are fun as fuck. They are no, fun. But I, I mean, I never I never loved her character in them. For me, it was like 100% Mila all the time. It's because yeah. you, you didn't play the games. Maybe. Or maybe <laughs> it's because I have a hard on for Mila. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what are y'all's thoughts on your rewatch of Final Destination? Well, so one of the things uh, that I picked up a, l- a great deal on this one was that Alex reminded me a bit of, uh, and this might be a little too English nerd, like nerdy, but... Cassandra from the the Greek mythology where she mm-hmm. would have all these prophecies but no one would believe her and in some of the she even had a prophecy about the fall of Troy and there was a telling of it where she was actually stopped from burning down the horse that had all the Greeks in it um by the by the uh, the Trojans they stopped her and so everything that she saw came true, but no one would ever believe her. And so I picked that up a lot with, with this one. This Wait watch. a minute. Did you just watch Scream 2? No. <laughs> Trace's oh. liberal only point. Of like... <laughs> that's literally a whole scene as, as Cindy being Cassandra oh talking God, about the fall right. of Troy. <laughs> you know, as much as I love Scream 2, I haven't seen it in a long time. Oh, well, fine. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> No, that's very observant, though, because he absolutely is, right? I mean, that's part of what, I don't know, some people might argue that his character is not particularly exciting. I would argue that's, it's the problem of being the protagonist in a lot of these films, where you you have to be the person with the emotional arc. And in this case, I mean, he's, I don't know, like, 
Alex isn't really given a lot to do apart from running around frantically. I think that's why the ending scene works so well for me, because it actually puts both him and Clear in danger at the same time. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, either one of them could go. I actually had forgotten how exciting the climax of this movie is at her place. And when she like climbs in her house and like all the electricity, like the electrical lines are blowing up around her, following her through the house. That's really cool. It was really exciting this time. Yeah, I, I forgot about that. It's because it's... It's far longer than I remember, too. Like, I forgot about the pool. I yeah, remember I her having to, like, climb back into her house. But, um, like, I I was imagining people freaking out because thinking that the dog was going to get killed because, yeah. as we all know, it's such a trope. But apparently he was going to get killed in the original. Oh, God. I think also that that that's the sequels coloring our perception of the or our memory of the original because yeah I didn't remember as many Rube girl Rube Goldbergy things in the in this first one but I remember them all in the sequels and I think the second one really like oh yeah it ratchets it up yes absolutely but yeah like I mean from the teacher's death and Todd's death and Clear's almost death. Like, those are all very expertly crafted sequences. Well, I feel like they realize that they can get more bang for their buck from doing the extended, really drawn out, like, oh my god, literally anything could be the death of these characters. Because mm-hmm. I found on this rewatch, I didn't mind Terry's death, but knowing what happens to Billy, I was like, this is basically the same death twice. And it's... T- like, it works once as a shock, but the rest of the time, like, when it happened to Billy, I was like, hmm, you know what? I feel I feel ripped off. I would have liked something more extended. They lead up to Billy, though, because they show that shrapnel, like, vibrating below the train a couple times before it actually flings up and gets him. No, but I wanted to, like, cut off a tree branch that then falls on him, <laughs> and then he gets hit by, like, a second train that's going in the other direction or something. Well, okay, so... Maybe we just go through the deaths really quickly, because um, I think, I mean, that's obviously the hallmark of these movies and, like, what they're known for. Or I guess we can start with the plane crash, which is, I mean, it's not my favorite out of all the opening death, like, opening sequences of these movies. I think it's the most normal, yes. right? Like, everything else just gets amped up to 12 after this, whereas you're like, oh, a plane crash on its own in 2000? I mean, that still, today, would be a big deal, but right. in this case, it's like, I feel like people really responded to the fear of being on a plane and having that explode. Whereas everything else you're like, well, people spend time on highways, people spend time on roller coasters. Like, right. These are regular things. And, and seeing it back when I did in 2000, when Trace was like two, um, <laughs> I don't know if you know this Trace, but internet wasn't as big of a thing at the no, time. I was, and I, so <laughs> I was alive into, I, I was in fifth grade. Thank you very much. <laughs> but, like he was too young to go see it in the theater. Yeah, right. But so I, Honestly, I had I didn't know much about it at all, except that he saw um, something that caused him to get off the plane. So when I saw this and I saw them taking off, I'm like, oh, well, I guess it's going to explode on the way back because I didn't realize that it was this whole, you know, grandiose idea of, of what he was seeing and then it was going to explode and get off. The, but anyway, so when it happened, I was absolutely terrified. But watching it now, it's sort of I think the sequels have um, kind of outpaced it. And they've kind of tweaked it, too, because um, the one thing that I always forget that happens is when Todd dies and the water that he slips on, like, goes back. Retracts. Yeah, yeah it goes back. Because it's the only time it happens in the entire franchise, right? 
I think so. Like, yeah, death covers his tracks or its tracks, whatever you want to call it. And you lose that aspect of it of like, yeah, because death, I mean, why would death cover his tracks? I don't really <laughs> understand that. But anyway, I, I do think that the opening scene, though, for being as like realistic or like the most normal of all the crashes or all the sequences, although I would argue the second one's probably the most realistic and terrifying, but... I love that shot of the... Well, I, I love people flying out the plane, like, into the dead end, and that's really cool. Which was uh, practical effects. Really? Yeah, they... Um, I, when I was listening to the uh, the director's thing, they were talking about um, how they actually had an arm that would pull them out of the plane. Each one, one after the other. Oh, that's so amazing. Can you imagine being like, I'm the arm guy on Final Destination. <laughs> I just get to, like, grab the chair and pull it out. But also, even the bit, though, like, when the plane does finally blow up, and th there's that extended shot of Alex just burning. Mm -hmm. It's grody. It is. It really is. It's really gruesome. And, again, seeing it, knowing that in a couple months I was going to be flying on a plane was probably the worst decision I ever made. It didn't stop me from seeing it three more times in the theater, but... Still. Well, th that's what's kind of great about this movie, though, is, okay, so the slasher genre is always, you know, criticized because there's, quote unquote, nothing new you can do with it. And I mean, you know, it, I get it. You know, there's a very simple formula to the slasher film. Yeah, blah, blah. So Reddick, which took, by the way, I'm sorry, we kind of cut, skipped over this, but this was intended to, this is a spec script for the, an episode of the X-Files. That <gasps> What? I know. I, everyone knows it, but just in case you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's like two or three big pieces of trivia that everybody can spat off about this, and it's like, that's... Right, but if we don't mention it, you know they're going to be like, ah, oh, y'all didn't mention that it was the X-Files. Mm -hmm. No, but, but, but this takes the slasher formula and like, you know, gives it a really cool twist you know because then you know the complaints like oh like the slack jason he can just teleport around blah 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 whereas in this one it, the killer literally can just teleport around now why he doesn't give these people heart attacks in one fell swoop i don't know <laughs> but but it's still it's a really cool subversion of that genre i always took it to be i i feel like the sequence with bloodworth in the in the morgue is very significant for that very reason because it not only gives you insight as to what exactly is happening, and it fills in a lot of that exposition to make sure that Alex and Claire can, sorry, Cleo can talk it through. But um, I always got the impression, and I know for sure that some people think this, that Bloodworth is actually a stand-in kind of proxy for death. I never bought that, though. I That was, I'll be honest, I've always assumed that he was. Really? Yeah. Okay, so there we go. We've got both sides of the coin represented. Whether or not you believe it, I think, is immaterial. I think because it's Tony Todd and, you know, he's got that, like, fucking honey, sexy, sugarcane mm. voice. Like, um, <laughs> you can drink like honey he, over he, me any day. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, he just, he's oozing menacing sex appeal. And he's, at this point, perfected it because he's been, you know, he's done the Candyman's for several years at this point. But, uh I like to think that part of that scene is to also give you this idea that death likes to fuck with people. Like, it's not just going to come for them. It's going to do it in a certain order. It's going to take its time because it's just going to get them all. It's it's not even an issue. It's just going to collect them slowly. You know, when I was watching it this time, this the thing that popped up on mine is, oh, he's Basil Exposition mm -hmm. from Austin Powers. Because, like, he basically, you know, fills in all of the... The backstory the and, yeah. and, and, and talks about the mythology behind this. And it changes from movie to movie. Like in the second one, don't they have to like 
save a life or something. Yeah, that's the most convoluted of all the um the things. Yeah, the second one gets the only new life can create death, which again was gonna be the concept in this one until they scrap that ending. Or only new life can stop death. What? Sorry. Um, the third one they steal the omen trick of like the pictures predicting their deaths. The fourth one I don't really remember. But there's a lot of like fake flashbacks in that one. And then the fifth one is, um, if you kill someone who wasn't supposed to die, then you will then get the years on their life. Right. Oh gosh, I'd forgotten all about that. It's it's really cool concept that isn't really delivered on. They kind of like do it like for a scene and then it's done. Well, that's so macabre though. Like, mm-hmm. It's good. Because you're basically turning your protagonists into potential killers. Like that's a little harder to swallow. And uh, the reason that I, I kind of equated him to death is that he gives this information about death's design and kind of hints about ways to to stop it, but nothing they do can actually stop it. So it, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I I think he's just fucking with them. I mean, yeah, he says, you know, I'll see you soon. And you can take that as the, the mortician saying that, you know, like you're going to die. There's no way you're going to get out of this. But it just, it reads too ominous for me to not believe that, that he's actually death. And when he's first introduced, he comes out of, like a cave in this one. Yeah, he just like emerges. <laughs> well, and there's like a, a cave behind him. And I'm like, where? what kind of funeral home has a fucking like tunnel in the ground? So I, I just I just assume that he's death. I'm not arguing that per se. I just I mean, I literally I just have never subscribed to that theory. I was just like, oh, it's just Tony Todd being Tony Todd. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it. I totally get why people think that. Yeah, I just like, I mean, meh, it's I, it's not a, a big of a deal to me. Well, it's tricky. I mean, this is back in the day before we were routinely casting horror icons in these coveted cameo roles. Do you two think that if it had just been some regular character actor or some Joe Schmo they pulled off the street, would we still think that? Or is it the way that Tony Todd plays it as well? Probably not. But I, I think I think that was on purpose. When when I was listening to the, the commentary, they said, I can't remember exactly how they phrased it, but it was basically that they hired him because of his voice. Which makes sense. <laughs> and I mean, like, because he, you know, he obviously Candyman. Was he in Wishmaster? Because I know that was also another one of those, like, all these horror icons are in Wishmaster. It's 1997. Mwaha. I do not believe he is. Okay. No. Well, there's a, I know Robert Englund and What's-His-Face, Kane Hodder in that, but what, what, okay, so... I, I want y'all's opinion on this. So there are a couple things in this movie that I think might, could be argued are tasteless um one <laughs> like using the real life footage of a plane crash as that, a substitute <laughs> um also john denver is playing all over this movie and john denver famously died in a plane crash especially since that was in 1997 it was three years before so it's not exactly yeah. like it was like a decade or you know 30 years ago that he died he died three years ago like before this movie came out and I and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, but in the beginning at the airport, Clear is looking at a magazine of like car crash photos, and I believe it's Princess Diana's Princess car Di. crash. Yeah, was it that, really? I didn't yes. notice that. Oh, that, shit. that was the one that that and the plane footage being yeah, because that like, yeah, I, that was a real plane. Yeah, I actually don't know that they would be able to get away with the plane footage nowadays. Well, I think there'd be too much of an outcry if people found out. Didn't Netflix get in trouble, though, with, uh, was it Bird Box with the, the train footage? Yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's a similar scenario. I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I mean, again, not a big deal right now to me, but, like, I just, I, I'm just surprised that they kind of go for these things that are, like, very real 
disasters. <laughs> yeah. The John Everybody Denver stuff it. didn't, it didn't irk me in the same way because, I mean, it's... It's music. It's kind of like a wink-wink, but yeah, like, they would have had to pay for that song. So in a way, they're actually paying the estate in order... So the estate is making money. They could have said no we disagree right. with the way that That's you're representing true. John Denver. So yeah, I, I just, I realized it this time a lot more than when I first saw it because, it's because they I, played fucking like all the time, all the time. Well, and I, I didn't realize that he had died, you know, th- literally three years before this, this came out. And I, that I feel was a little tasteless, but mm. you know, but, but it works. It hammers home the idea. <laughs> so, okay. So let's say we've got the plane crash. It's great. It's super fucking scary. It'll never be shown on planes ever. And, <laughs> We go through this funeral scene, which has a really sappy song. Oh, the music in this movie, by the way. So the score is done by Shirley Walker, who she's dead now. Um, but she did <laughs> she did the music. How for the, did she die? Do we know? I don't know. But she didn't crash. No, I'm kidding. But I, I actually like a lot of her work is she's she's worked with um, James Wong and Glenn Morgan. But she did the Black Christmas remake score and she did the first three Final Destinations. But she also co-did the score for um, True Lies and Ghoulies. But hmm. This score is kind of all over the place. Like during the suspense scenes, like specifically during Clear's, um, you know, constant like thirteen near death misses, really good. But then like there's really sappy music. Like whenever Todd dies, and we can talk about his death in a minute. But like when his dad is like yelling at um Alex, it's just like this. I wanted to pull a Romeo and Michelle when they're watching Pretty Woman, and she's like, "Oh, listen to that sad, sad music, boohoo!" Like <laughs> that's what it felt like. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit more intrusive than I'm used to in my slasher films. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is saying very... something because I typically don't ne- tend to notice scores. So it it felt very like gothic this time when I was listening to it, and it it, it definitely was overwrought in places. Um, I, I thought it was interesting though, interesting choices, and I thought they say they picked some interesting music cues uh, in the movie like i know trace won't pick this up but nine inch nails was playing oh, I in the that. car <laughs> <laughs> no i mean yeah I, I that's i mean i guess it's all like very like you know that of the time i also like, like even like the opening like when the new line cinema logo is going it's like the pre-christopher nolan blom, blom. Right. i love that but yeah so todd's death very somber very uh it I had never seen and I've never seen since that clothing line in the shower, but it made me afraid of the shower, even though I've never had one before. <laughs> okay. That, that line. I will I will shout out to a friend of the show, Brennan Klein, who <laughs> him and his uh, boyfriend covered this movie for uh, their podcast, Scream 101. And he didn't think that that he's like this random line that was fake he thought it was fake a real thing (laughs) which (laughs) i i I, i've never seen it in a home i've seen it in hotels and like inclusion bathrooms but it was interesting so i i watched this with my husband brian and he claims that he's seen it before but he didn't really react to anything that happened apart from like i mean the thing that i love about todd is that your jump scare like your fake outs are all to do with regular household items. So when he starts to shave his neck, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, no. Yeah. And then he starts to clip his, his the nose, nose hairs. hairs. Like, that's the oh, best one. Christ, no. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I... like, what, what I think really sells Todd's death is when he's when he's asphyxiating and, and his, the eyes first the eyes yeah first. The, oh. the eye it's it's probably one of the most memorable and gruesome images like in a horror movie to be honest because like you don't see that very often 
No. And I mean, I think of some of the other deaths in the franchise, like the one that I always go to is the the girls getting burned to death in the tanning bed. That's the funniest one, but also very horrifying. It is, but it doesn't land in quite the same way. Like this feels very real. Like it's not sensationalized in the same kind of way, even though it does go on and on, right? It's interesting though, because again, you know, the third one, Glenn Morgan and James Wong return, but the third one is probably the most lighthearted out of all of the five movies in the sense that it's like, really having it's very fun jokey. it's very yeah. jokey it's in on it, it it's like they watch the second movie which is in my opinion probably the meanest out of all five movies oh it's so mean and yeah. they went in the complete opposite direction and we're like let's make it fun and it is i mean i i like both movies for very different reasons but yeah the, the tanning bed scene is memorable but it's also like the goofiest like probably one of the goofiest deaths in the franchise well and a little bit of a trivia from the 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 commentary, the mm-hmm. uh, an optometrist actually commended them for the eyes bursting. Oh, oh that's really? awesome! Yeah, ugh, I, that scene just like it's still even watching it now, um, it still kind of fucks with me. It's it's so, really hard to watch. Right, it really and is because also it you know it's our first big set piece death after the main one, which is a bit anonymous because we're we don't really know any of the people on that plane all that well mm-hmm. whereas we we kind of know Todd like I don't like Todd but no. we know him and then to have that death just get written off as a suicide like teen suicide in the year 2000 still a big yeah. deal so it's playful on the part of death, but it's also very hard as an audience member to be like no but he yeah. didn't actually but that's how it will be that's how it'll go down in history, right? Right. And before we move on from Todd, though, I have to ask y'all about this shitting thing. What <laughs> have y'all ever asked a okay, friend? Yes, we all poop, Trace. No, I, I know that. But have y'all ever asked a friend to come shit with you? And I, no. you know, his, re- his reasoning is, you know, oh, like, you know, you don't want to be on the plane, like, go, shitting, and, like, one of those hot girls comes in right after you, blah, blah, blah. So shit also, now, forever hold your like, peace. It's seven hours. And I'm like, <laughs> I've been on a longer flight. <laughs> And had to take a shit and not done it because it's a plain bathroom. Like, bitch, you hold it if you're really that scared about it. I mean, when you gotta go, you gotta go. I don't know. I mean, no, like, this is absolutely not a thing. If it had been two girls being like, hey, I'm going to the bathroom, because we see girls frequently go to the bathroom together, presumably not to poop, but to do, like, the sweetest thing kind of stuff. Girl things. (laughs) Wait, straight guys, listen up. If you have ever gone to poop with your friend, tweet us. Please. Yeah. And then, like, would you be talking to each other while you're in the stall? Absolutely not. I know. Well, also, I mean, because I was looking real hard, it still looks like Devin Sawa's boxers are, like, up. Like, he doesn't have them around his ankles. So I was like... No, he definitely doesn't. I was like, is this how straight guys poop? Well, actually, there's just a flap. It's like long johns where you just undo the tie and then you poop through the little hole in the (laughs) butt. So So Todd's death and quote unquote suicide, of course, bring the FBI agents further into the fold. And I will tell you all right now, I think the FBI agent thing is the weakest part of this movie. Well, they don't really do much of anything except it's to keep Alex away for the climax. Pretty much. Yeah. It's just, I think that's probably why I never revisited this movie that often is because I just don't, I mean, granted, and they don't take up that much screen time, but it's just like, ugh, like, I hate the whole, like, well, we think you're killing these people, but I'm not, but we think you are, but I'm not. I hate that. Well, even the fact that, let's be honest, if someone 
forecast that a plane was going to explode and then it did and the FBI was called in to investigate that person's going into a black hole somewhere for <laughs> a very long time. <laughs> right. It just it wasn't really believable and it didn't really I don't think added much to it to be perfectly honest. It almost would have been better if it had a like if they just hadn't gone with the police like had them introduce and be like we're going to keep an eye on you but apart from that no like just write them off i think it maybe works like for the teacher sequence where which okay well we'll get there so first we 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 can jump ahead terry literally just gets hit by a bus and explodes onto. i'm right here guys (laughs) (laughs) well because i I was gonna mention carter too because because carter is a douchebag for this entire fucking movie uh carter Mm -hmm. being cursed homo repressed Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, Joe, do you want to elaborate on your theory? Okay. So, I was called out by Brian about this because I absolutely went into Final Destination with residual lingering Dawson's Creek feelings. And I was like, that guy plays gay. He's giving off a bit of a, like, a gay vibe because he's a pretty boy, right? Like, Kara Smith yeah. is just a very, he's an attractive man, albeit yeah, not a great actor. He is. Now, Rewatching this, and I'm interested to see if I can change anybody's opinion about this, because ever since I started to get a repressed homo vibe from Carter, I've literally never been able to watch Final Destination the same way again, because he spends the entire movie screaming at Billy and Alex like he can't wait to like push Terry off the curb into the bus so that he can hop onto like whatever dick is closest to him. And the the main thing is just, like, he's so mad at male characters. And, like, he's so... Like, he's driving with Terry while Claire and Alex are having this... Clear. Well, they're having their, (laughs) you know, their coffee time chat out in the... Out on the veranda. Yeah. And, you know, Carter is driving around and it's, like, presumably he and Terry are maybe going to go somewhere and do something like have sex as teenagers do in these films. (laughs) He sees Alex and just immediately has to like pull over and get all up in his face. And you're just thinking, no, you don't have to do that. But it seems like you really want to get closer to Alex for some reason. Listeners, whenever we're like programming our films, we have a column for queer content. So like when we plan a movie, we can say, Hey, this is the queer part of the movie. If there is one. Uh, and, Joe had written, you know, Carter as homo repressed. And for some reason, I was, I had Alex in my head the whole time. So when I was watching the movie, I was like, I don't know where the fuck Joe was getting this Alex as homo repressed from. This doesn't make any sense. And then after I finished it, like, Joe, you messaged me and was like, Carter's totally gay, right? And I was like, oh, fuck, it is Carter. And that totally makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, it does. Terry, what do you think? I mean, it's obviously people could be like, oh, dude, you're just like reading into things and whatever. But I I honestly, the first time I saw it, I thought it was more him and Billy because that's why he's always pushing Billy or running him over with his car and getting really irate and punching him in the face. Because these are all things that bullies in high school who are closeted do to the people that they can't express their true feelings to. But then this time around, I was like, oh, he's doing that to Alex a lot. And I was like, Maybe he's just hungry for D. Like, he just really <laughs> wants to, like, get in some physical connection with a man. You know, I, when I when I watched it this time, uh, when you guys said, you know, we're going to do Final Destination, I, I was watching it and I had in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, well, maybe there's a queer subtext that I, I missed. And I, again, didn't see it this time. But with this discussion, I can definitely see 
a lot of traits that that Kerr Smith's character had that a lot of bullies in high school who turned out in my life at least to be gay mm-hmm. and were like homophobic because of it. Uh, I, I could see a lot of traits in that, so I, I can agree. But I, I didn't totally didn't see it when I was when I was watching this time. And he goes with them to Paris at the end of the movie when they're clearly when Alex and Clear are clearly a couple. <laughs> yeah, he wants like, that I get it. it's, it's the Survivors Club point. goes to Paris, but it's also like so. There's like the DL relationship on the side where you know clear and alex have the room and then they've got that adjoining door and when clear falls asleep because alex gave her some sleeping pills or something in the wine you know the door (laughs) opens and there's there's carter yelling (laughs) yelling i without really knowing how much of reddick's original script that you know morgan and wong changed you know i mean whether it was intentional on by on reddick's part or not he writ this writ he wrote this character this way it could have been some kind of like you know subconscious, you know, oh, this is the bully, the the kid that bullied me in high school type thing. Yeah. Yeah. One way or another, it doesn't ultimately change any of the outcome. But I've just always thought that it's an interesting perspective because Carter, he honestly does. He spends, I think, 98% of his screen time just yelling at other male characters. And I always thought it was a very unusual choice. Like, I mean, there is a lot of yelling in general in this film. Like, Billy does a lot of yelling as well. But I think part of that is that the kids are just kind of asshole-ish at times. I think Billy's endearing, though. Like, Billy's yelling, but he's, like, really funny. And, like, I like Billy. And when he dies, even though, as you said, Joe, his death is probably the most underwhelming out of all of them, it's still, like, I was like, oh, like, he was funny. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he's a dimwit that you kind of love. I'm going to be perfectly honest. I had such a crush on Sean William Scott oh in high oh, school. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so I, his his death definitely hit me as well, but for different reasons, because I just thought he was so cute in this. Well, it's funny, too, because I feel like this would have played very differently if it had been this role before his breakout in American Pie as Stifler, because this actually feels like he's playing against type. And he right. seemed because in American Pie, he's hot. But he's also such a dick. Whereas in this film, you're like, he's still hot, but he's kind of just... He's endearing. Like he's a bit of a dim-watted light bulb. The, the other thing is, is, I think most of the characters are playing against type. I mean, Kerr Smith, uh, I, I never watched Dawson's Creek, but I, I asked one of my friends who is obsessed with it if he was a jerk on that show. And, and she said, no, he was actually pretty much a good guy on that show. Yeah. And then you had, you had Allie Larder in Varsity Blues who had the infamous, you know, whipped cream scene that was satirized so perfectly in another teen movie yes uh <laughs> but you know she was like kind of a sex goddess in that one and then you had uh, again billy with sean william scott where he was playing such an asshole in uh american pie and now he's the opposite there was like and then brendan fair who was you know top of his prime in, in roswell and he gets killed off in the first couple minutes mm-hmm. so I, oh. a lot of them seem to be playing against type i did want to mention a random bit of trivia though so um the brendan fair and todd uh i think brendan fair's name is george uh but him and todd were originally in reddick's draft going to be sisters and reddick wanted brandy for the todd character yeah oh <laughs> Yes, yeah, because this did. is the whitest film that ever whited. It really is. <laughs> it's so 2000. He wanted Tobey Maguire for Alex and Kristen Dunst for Clear. Can yeah. we just talk about no? Like how much no that would have been? Oh, I love Kirsten Dunst. And I mean, y'all know yeah. how about Tobey Maguire. Well, actually, okay. I think Kirsten Dunst could have done an okay job with this. I don't see Tobey Maguire doing no. anything good with this at all. And really? not because I still can't forgive him for Spider-Man 3. 
Oh, that's God, not Spider-Man his 3. fault. That's not his fault. Whatever. For Spider-Man 3? No, it's it not. 100% No, that is Sam Raimi's <laughs> fault. You can blame Sam Raimi for that in the studio for making him include Venom in that movie. Um, no. No. Whatever. I'm with Joe on this one. It's, it's not, this isn't a Spider-Man 3 podcast. So, the, uh, <laughs> so they're at, the, they're at this cafe. Rank. Terry gets pissed and she gets destroyed, Joe's words, by a bus. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if this had been a later entry in the franchise, there just would have been body parts covering them as opposed to just, you know, a tasteful amount of blood sprayed across their face. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, one of the things I did today was I watched uh, like on YouTube, someone had posted the top, their top 10 favorite kills. And it surprised me again, how restrained this one was in compared to uh, mm-hmm. like the sequels. I mean, what I liked about the framing for the bus scene, though, is that, you know, normally and if you're watching a movie and someone walks into the street and like the camera backs up and it's like a wide shot of them just standing in the street. You're like, OK, you well, they're exactly what's going to happen. They're about to get hit by a car or something. This one doesn't really do that. Like you can't really tell quite like that she's in the street yet no, i feel like it still looks like she could be on the sidewalk so and then the bus is just there there <laughs> it's so good it it really is and it, it scared the shit out of me when i first saw it in 2000 now i just sort of laugh at it but like when i first originally saw it that bus scene scared the crap out of me just sort of like it reminded me of of sam jackson's death in deep blue sea just like yeah. it surprised me at the time but now it's like oh that's really obviously foreshadowed but before then no it, it was i had never seen anything like that before which is why i would argue for keeping it over billy's because with billy's you see the shrapnel so many times on the train track that you know something is going to happen and that it's probably going to be billy because he's samuel l jacksoning through his yelly speech whereas with terry it's just like well, she's just backing away, and then she's gone. No, 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 no. Because honestly, Terry doesn't really have a lot of things to say in this entire movie until her big monologue where she's like, that's it! I will not mm-hmm. have this be the most important thing of my life! You can just drop dead, and then she gets hit. I think her speech is very impassioned and on the nose. Like, it's... No, totally, I get that. But I did want to point out, though, also with Billy's death, it's in the trailer. So... Like, it, oh, really? It, it's just, like, you you can't tell what it is unless you've seen it already. But basically, like, it does. Oh, like it, the trail is over found destination, and then it cuts to the shrapnel flying at Billy, and then it cuts to like you know the like the credit right. sheet. Yeah. So okay, Alex realizes that the fuel line bursts in the plane, and he traces it on the TV to figure out. Oh, he knows the order people are gonna die. Boom, teacher's next, and she is. Okay, so I love this character in the beginning of the movie. She's introduced very well, you know, when she, like, gets that guy to, like, stop bothering the kids, and she's like, fuck off. Yeah, because it's a an attractive woman who swears. That's why you like her. Yes, but then... That's why I like her, too. After the plane crash, she's just a blithering mess. Which I appreciate, because nobody else seems particularly <laughs> bothered. Like, Alex is like, should I masturbate? Hmm. Todd is like, should I shit? Hmm. Well, I, I it's Todd, uh, his scene being interviewed by the, the FBI, though, like really kind of broke my heart where he like realizes that his brother, you know, died and he's and his brother's the one that basically saved him. I thought that was pretty impactful. But I agree after that. It's just sort of like I liked it, too, except for the fact that you literally never got a sense that Alex even knew the brother. So yeah. I was like, it didn't it wouldn't make sense for the brother to get off the plane, Todd, you big dummy. But Miss Miss Luton, she seems to be the only person who's like, 
I can't fucking handle this. Like, I'm destroyed. I need to just leave. She even says, like, you you scare me. Get away from me. To, which I love. To Alex, which I love that scene. It just, it felt so... The beginning of this honestly felt so real. Even even with, with, with Todd's death, it mm-hmm. just, it felt... It, it was very emotional, and it, I, f- I forgot how much it kind of colors the rest of the film, because even though the rest of the deaths are, pr- are, are fun and, and crazy set pieces, that first death just really hits hard. It does. I think this is kind of the – Terry's death is – it's so fast and abrupt, but it it's kind of kicks off a bit of a humor, like you're stunned yes, and laughing. And then this, I think, is actually the set piece that makes the franchise. Absolutely. Because, yeah, this is like the, oh, death is fucking with you. And – I admit, though, it's always bothered me that that mug is cracked and that vodka is pouring out of her mug and she doesn't notice it. (laughs) It's never bothered me until I saw her take a sip of it this time. I think if she hadn't just been carrying it, because I could believe, okay, so you put a hot liquid into a mug and then you pour it out and then you immediately put a cold liquid into it. That could hypothetically crack a mug. She she throws it out because she pours like the tea or whatever and like, she throws it out because she sees, I guess it's the school mascot or something. Or like, yeah, it's right. the logo. But then she continues to drink out of it. <laughs> right. I first thought there was like a bug in it when she throws it out. And I was like, oh, no, it's it's the mug bit. Why is she still drinking from it? But let's face it. She's a she's an alcoholic, right? Like, that's what we're all thinking. Well, no, 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 no. She's going through a traumatic experience and she's drinking vodka straight. Like, that's or on the rocks. That's fine. But if you watch her when it cracks, she's clearly holding the mug like, a far enough away from her that it looks unnatural so like just so yeah. that she won't feel the vodka dripping and that's always bothered me like it just looks unnatural the way she's holding it and the way she like waves it over her computer yeah she's like <laughs> <laughs> she's like yeah, yeah. dribble 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 no she's like burning sage to like cleanse her house but it's just a mug of vodka instead <laughs> but i will confess i feel like I, I can't be the only one who's an idiot with this, where you like, you're balancing either food or drink, and you're like, I probably shouldn't be doing this well. I'm carrying food or drink because I know it could spill at any minute, but you're like, no, I've got this. Don't worry. I'm sure nothing. Oh, fuck. Like everything just slipped <laughs> off. And- oh, absolutely. But I also don't just like wave my, my cup over my monitor. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I'm an alcoholic. Like, well, and what I what I love too is that like so like you know because they have to keep her that computer for a bit to um so that it can blow up in her face and mm-hmm. the way they do that <laughs> is there's this like cornucopia this mini cornucopia like horn thing that she just feels the need that she has to bubble wrap right then and there <laughs> yeah right yeah uh, which you know sure but one one thing that uh that we haven't really talked about is a lot of the little easter eggs in it mm-hmm. and they've strewn throughout this entire opening bit of all of the deaths that would happen um back in like the the uh airport there's the murals on the wall and one of them is a bus and there's a frame of Terry standing in front of the bus and so there's like all of these and like the gate is 40 I think it's like 46 which is the number of kids that were supposed to die so there's like all these little tiny Easter eggs in the background. And so that I thought that was interesting in this scene. And the franchise does get very good at dropping those little hints um, all over to where it's almost like I liken it. I mean, not exactly, but I liken it to the like, um, the Paranormal Activity franchise because I call that franchise the I Spy franchise of horror movies where it's just a lot of <laughs> still shots and you're just trying to look for something that's like moving or off a right, little what's, bit. What's scary? What's scary in the scene? Yeah. Like the still shot of a room. And this one's kind of the same where it's like there's clues everywhere that's just like fun. It's like it's an interactive viewing experience. 
Which, if you think about it, is also a, a nice revisionist twist on the idea of a slasher film, because typically you'd be trying to figure out who the killer is, whereas here you're just trying to figure out who's next and how they're going to die. The fig- the trying to figure out how they're going to die is one of my absolute favorite things in this franchise. And this they, they do it well with Todd, but the, the, this teacher one, man, I mean, well, mm-hmm. it's not really... Because you think she's dead anyway when the glass like shoots in her neck, but no, well, she's yeah. still and kicking. she commits like fucking cardinal sin. Like, don't pull, don't pull the item out. out of your body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, then Alex is the same fucking thing when he pulls the knife out of her and gets his fingerprints on the knife. That's the piece right. that always bothered me. But then, I mean, they also immediately blow up the house, so part of me forgives it. But I do want to narrate. So, hey. Really quickly. Walk us through the death. Okay, so shrapnel in the neck. Shrapnel in the neck. So she pulls it out. Her blood is going around. She walks back to the kitchen to get, um, I guess, a towel. And the computer explodes some more, and it lights the the trail of vodka that she poured on fire. The trail of vodka then goes back to the stove. It lights the stove on fire, but then there's the the open bottle of vodka right there, and that is what explodes. (laughs) Because it it does, like, the little... Like, like blowing air on the bottle. That explodes. It knocks her over on the ground. And then she looks up and there's the knife rack with a towel on it. And she grabs the towel. The knife rack tips over. The knife just falls in her chest. Which is also unlikely, but sure. Yeah, I mean, no, de- it's Death's hands doing it. Because we saw Death uh, moving across the shining kettle earlier. <laughs> and then Alex comes in and he's like, I'm going to help you. And then the, another explosion happens, which then knocks the chair over and pounds the knife further in her chest and kills I do feel like my favorite thing is Alex being like, it's okay, I'm going to help you. And Death just being like, oh, really? Ha-bam! <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, fuck uh, you, teenager, I'm Death. You kind of segue into something that, that I picked up this, this viewing is that this movie is really kind of a discussion of free will versus, like, determinism. Because... You have Carter, who's like, you know, I, I am in control of my life. I'm never going to die. I am in, you know, all that kind of stuff. But you also have the the idea of death's design that they kind of broke his design. And so he's going back and he's like, no, you're, you're all going to you're all going to die. And it that so that that was one thing that kind of struck me as being a little bit more than just the the quote unquote dead teenagers movie is this this little and it's a little muddled but this this ideology between whether this is you know all determined and there's nothing they can actually do which is kind of nihilistic if you think about it right or yeah. whether they actually do have free will one of the things that fans love about this is the convoluted death set pieces but at the same time it's really the franchise as a whole is encouraging people to say, you know what, we're all going to die. And really, at the end of the day, it could be in the fucking tanning bed. It could be on the collapsing bridge. It could be on the freeway or the roller coaster. But like, eventually, you're going to get the fire escape in the eye. You're just going to die. There's nothing you can do to stop it. There's <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> yeah. But it, you're also asking for it if you're a gymnast. Oh, just God. saying. <laughs> Best scene. It is. So Billy's death is next and he gets, you know, the shrapnel through the face, which I do like the decapitation because it goes like right under his nose. Yes, because normally you'd think that they do it through the neck. And instead it's like it feels like he gets it right between the teeth. 
And the way it when when it flips backward, it's like there's a tiny piece of meat that's still connecting the top of his head Ooh. to the bottom half of his head. And really? it kind Grace? of No, yeah. <laughs> yes. I watch death scenes very closely in horror films, especially when it's practical, which this one was, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, most everything was practical. It was just um some of it was a little enhanced with some CG like the the uh the sh- the sparks in in Claire's set piece. Which, again, I appreciate in this film so much more compared to some of the deaths in the later entries of this franchise where you're just like, oh, it's cartoon blood. Yeah. I think the fourth one is the most guilty of that. You mean the anus in the swimming pool? It's not great. So, yeah. And the second one actually probably has the best practical effects of the whole franchise. I think the third one is when they really start putting in some CG gore. But whatever. Because the third one is when they start doing uh, 3D too, right? No, that's the fourth one. Oh, Really? Yeah. Did you guys watch the third one on on DVD where they they had like the you could choose your own death? Yeah, you you can oh. save you can save some of the characters. That's only on the DVD, by the way, not the Blu-ray. I I remember watching it on DVD and and being able to like choose the scenes. And I was like, this is kind of lame, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed saving some of their like. You can save Frankie, the guy who gets the motor in the back of his head at the drive-through. Yeah, it's kind of nice. God, I don't remember three at all. <laughs> oh, three's three's a hoot. It's a I remember the nail gun debt to the face. Like that's always the death. Oh, that God, that one is the one that I remember the most. Yeah. Three's the roller coaster, right? Yeah. Yep. So what is four? Four's the racetrack. Oh, fuck that. Okay. Yeah, yeah that one, let's that move bad. back. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> Billy is dead. Practical effects. Yay, we love it. Okay. Yeah. But then we go into my least favorite sequence of the film, though, which is fucking Alex holding himself up in this cabin. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what is he eating? What is in that can? He's supposed to be eating some kind of like cream chicken thing that he absolutely hated. In the first scene that they, they filmed it, so they switched it out with tapioca. Yeah. He does that thing with his mouth where he, like, he's che- it looks like he's chewing, like, something that's more solid than what it is. And then he, like, like, I don't know how to, yep. like, he does this thing with his lips where he, like, gags a bit? I don't know. It's really gross. I believe that was because it was this this cream chicken that <laughs> yeah, they it's first authentic. gave him. <laughs> And he hated it. He hated it. So when they filmed it again, they just replaced it with tapioca because he would not. He refused to eat it. Yeah, I think it's just hilarious. My, I think my issue with this scene that was like, you've built up so much momentum with like the last three deaths that we've had, and then you just have yeah. to watch him like slow do down. this, and then the cops are coming for him, and he escapes on a canoe to go save Clear, and blah blah blah. It just Which, feels like padding. It does. Yeah. It does. I, th- I think, again, they probably could have cut this like the FBI agents and just gone directly to him having... Because as soon as he gets away in the canoe and then they're chasing him through the woods, that's when it picks back up. But it's also because I think for pacing purposes, they needed to slow it down so that they could then start to ramp it back up. But it does it does feel like it's... It goes on forever, like particularly mm-hmm. when he has that monologue, like "Oh, tetanus, you know, good job," yeah. and you're just like, "Jesus, what the fuck is this?" Like, <laughs> Wait, let's wouldn't move that have it been, along. Wouldn't that have been funny though if Death was actually trying to kill him with tetanus? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be the slowest fucking death ever. He's like, "You stupid little shit, die!" In See, that's six when they needed the Devon Sawa cameo back in like you know four or five. Well, I guess you couldn't do five, but. Uh, like a much later death where you're just like, no, he actually survived, but here's him in the hospital. Oh, he just like walks across the scene and like topples <laughs> Wait, over. No, that because in the second one, you know, they say, oh, he a brick fell on his head between films. They sh- she should have been like tetanus. tetanus. <laughs> yep. I mean, that would have been a nudging like wink, wink. Yes, you know, because uh, so, a brick okay. to the head. 
That's like, yeah, we didn't have sequel money for both of us, so I and if you got your pick, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go Ellie Larder. I, I will too, but absolutely. I do think though that having clear if she was the opening death of the second one, um, would have served her character more than the awful death she gets in the second movie. Yeah, that one pisses me off to no. I don't remember how she dies in the second movie. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's painfully <laughs> forgettable. It's like, hey, we brought her back, and we. It's not even like, oh, we kill her, you know, early on. It's like she makes it through most of the film. Yeah, to and the very end. Like, wah, wah. Yeah, she. she made, it's she, basically the rage carry too. Yeah, she she opens the door and blows <laughs> up. Like that. That's what happens. Like she just blows up. Which I think that's like a that's the worst death in the whole franchise, probably. But anyway, so then we have this awesome sequence, though the clear pool dog sequence mm-hmm. which goes on for quite a bit and it's very well done yeah it's incredibly well done it's it's a perfect climax for the movie yeah and i was surprised at how much i had for i literally like i knew this was the climax but i don't remember being impressed by it and watching it this week i was like if i was watching this in the theater for the first time i would be on the edge of my seat watching this shit oh yeah because it honestly felt like either one of them could realistically die mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. in 90s like late 90s horror it almost never felt that way. Like your protagonists were safe a hundred percent of the time. And here you were like, they could kill her. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> That's the thing that, that um, I loved about this movie is that it felt so, it felt so dangerous. Like, like you mentioned, like I, I didn't, I thought they were both going to die in this scene. It was like, Oh God, who's, I don't want one of them to die. Cause one of them's probably going to sacrifice himself to save the other one. I don't want any of them to die. So I, yeah, I, I completely agree. Did y'all notice though? And this is because they cut off the fucking scene, but after the beach scene, like she keeps referring to Alex as baby. baby. Yeah. Yep. They're very lovey dovey, but you don't get that fucking scene. So it's just like, <laughs> okay. <make> sense. <laughs> but they're holding hands in the climax or in the, the epilogue. Yeah. Which, again, like, you could kind of assume, like, oh, okay, in the six months that have passed since they started dating. But, uh, yeah, point. when when she's like, baby, no, don't go. Uh, and he's like, I'll always be with no, you. And you're that, like, wait, that, what? That's what I want. Okay, I think that I'll always be with you is the stupidest fucking line <laughs> in this entire movie. <laughs> really well, I mean, is. it works in the context of the original script where they're together, yeah. where, you know, they've had an no. intimate encounter. No, got, no, no, know, no, 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 no. No. She got sand up the badge, and <laughs> it, they're together forever. It doesn't work. That's like something that I, that belongs in like some sappy drama. Like this, I'll always be with you. It's cheesy. Yeah, this would have been a sappy drama if she was pregnant and she told him, you know, hey, we're gonna have a right. baby together. Oh then God. he would say that, and it would be like that. It's a sappy drama, but they cut it all out, so it just feels really out of place. It's just really goofy, and it kind of like to be honest, threw me out of, like, like I didn't even care that he picked up that wire. Oh, oh, by the way, though, the wire, which is roaring as if it was the shark in Jaws the Revenge. <laughs> Good point, yes. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of the, the Jaws reference, there was a, a Jaws reference earlier when, uh, when, when Todd dies and he goes to the house and the dad is, like, confronting him. It reminded me of the, the lady on the beach that, like, slaps, you know, uh, Oh, Brody. yeah, yeah, you're totally right. I have nothing to contribute to this because I'm so not a Jaws person. (laughs) Joe! God damn it. I'm leaving this right now. No, it's... You know what? I'll take Deep Rising over Jaws. I'll take Anaconda (gasps) over Jaws. Joe! I make no apologies. Okay, wait. Joe! Hold on. No, I I will side with Joe on this. If I'm going to put on Jaws or Deep Uh. Rising for fun, I'm going to watch Deep Rising. Totally get it. But, I mean, Joe, you've seen Jaws 2, right? 
I have not. I Jaws cannot 3? believe that I am on this podcast no, right now. I don't even like the original Jaws. I'm not going to see oh out the god. shitty inferior oh sequels. Oh my god. You Joe. know what? If Finflix invites <sighs> me on, then I will watch one of the sequels. That's it. I am contacting <laughs> Drew, and I am telling Wait. him that he needs to have you on. Wait. Because fuck, man. They already covered Jaws 2, which is the best of the Jaws sequel. So you can't do that one. It really is. Oh, Jaws 2 is so much fun. Uh, I the Jaws, Jaws mm-hmm. 4 in space. That's, See, what, but that's here's the, the only thing. one I'll watch. Jaws 4 isn't good, but I, I it's also like not very fun to watch. Whereas Jaws 3, which is the Dennis Quaid one with Jaws in SeaWorld, isn't good, but it's very fun to watch. Oh, I disagree. I'm, I'm the opposite. I, I even hear Jaws the 3. words that are coming out of your mouth. Jaws the Revenge like. <laughs> has like two deaths in it. It's so boring. It, the, the pacing is awful in Jaws the Revenge. But the novelization is amazing. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, a yeah. voodoo shark. Oh but, but Joe, Jaws 2 is literally a slasher movie in the water. It really is. It's so fun. I... Not to hype my own work, but I have an article about how Jaws 2 is a slasher and it came out before Halloween. Mm-hmm. Whatever. I'm already on the record as saying there's a ton of movies that I have not seen that people would be shocked about. And I've already approached Trace about doing a new level of Patreon about it. And he's been like, okay, sure. Whatever. And he's over here like Jaws. making me watch fucking Dead Ringers and like other Canadian films. And I'm like, well, Dude, I'm just going to say true. the amount of Canadiana about... that I'm sneaking onto this motherfucking podcast. I'm like a <laughs> covert connect well this like, is a canadian film too especially the sequels actually the sequels have kept like the canadian film industry afloat for many years in the early oh, 2000s right. mm. well i'm just gonna say that if you ever do an episode on on any of the jaw sequels you best have me on because those movies are my jam i will say that i was we were looking at we were pulling uh big anniversaries for 2020 and jaws does turn 45 next year oh yeah <laughs> 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 okay anyway we need a bigger podcast <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm surprised that's not the name of a podcast actually what we're gonna need a bigger podcast yeah like i am about ready to go register that name thank you very much <laughs> uh-huh. um okay so yeah so alex pick he pulls the uh i'll always be with you he does not die and then six months later it's the new ending and they're in paris all happy but john denver's um song is sung in french and then yeah 180 kills him mm-hmm. so how how do y'all feel about the end the end of this with the blackout to Carter getting hit by the sign? Well, I, I will say that when I when I saw it originally, I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. I it was the one moment that like I was actually laughing. So like, oh god, the sign's coming behind him. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rest of the deaths really kind of like scared me originally I originally saw it. But now I'm like, this doesn't really work. I I feel like it does work, if only because a, I mean, I subscribe to the fact that Carter's in love with Alex, so it makes sense for him to save his beloved and then to pay the price because, you know, queer desire in horror films, you got to smudge that out. But uh, I don't know. I, I think there's something mildly poetic about this idea that they can't ever escape from it and it will just continue. Makes no sense as to why death would wait an additional six months, but sure i guess obviously you know carter's death is a, is a reaction from the test screening audiences um oh, by yeah, the way yeah, yeah. it's a really fascinating um it's like a 13 14 minute like featurette but it's actually really interesting to watch because they read some of the reactions because they talk about how how much stock they put into um test oh, screening so reviews much. Well, so so much well no but then they're like well, you know you got to see like you know if someone's like well it was terrible it was too bloody too violent and, you know the next question is you know do you like horror movies and they're like no well you're not really yeah, gonna take that person it. seriously yeah but like um they they were reading some of the responses and like someone was like this person just wrote gay this person wrote more pussy this right. <laughs> what scene did you least like the shitting scene like 
It's just like people. So, I mean, but it's really interesting. But yeah, so they added, they obviously had Carter die because people didn't like that he lived in the original cut. Well, I think also the original ending is more in line with Terry's original description from his viewing back in 2000, where it's very somber. Like that is not a crowd pleaser. And we've, Trace, you and I have had this conversation numerous times. Terry, I feel like you're going to back me up. Horror is not a genre that you can end on a particularly dour or downer note because that's not what gets fans amped well, up over. Mainstream horror, like something that goes to theaters. Right. But this is a hundred percent mainstream. Right? Oh yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're some fuck off indie festival horror film, absolutely like go balls to the walls, end it on the worst, you know, most nihilistic, sad ending ever. But if you're trying to make money, you don't end your film by killing your protagonist. You just don't. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And this and this this ending just sort of uh kind of uh, equates to that too because um like you guys mentioned with the test screenings they test screened the uh the pregnancy thing and it just did not work everyone oh hated God. it can you imagine no like, i can't i would have I mean, it, fucked right off for sure it would have pissed me off and plus it, it kind of muddles the whole idea of this of this movie that is about free will versus determinism and now you're adding a moralistic idea of that because she didn't die is because it was an there was an innocent soul in her belly. Like it just completely goes against everything else in the movie. Well, and that's the thing kind of too, though, is because yeah, the movie develops that playfulness with Terry's death. And so mm-hmm. for it to go back on, like it, it basically just goes reverses course and loses that playfulness. And so, yeah, I mean, they spent almost $2 million to shoot this ending to the new ending, which is crazy. Cause it looks like they shot it on the exact same street corner where they were having coffee. Or yes. Whatever. They just added like a parasite. They, they did. They said they couldn't afford to go to Paris, so they they filmed it in, on some. I forget what what they mentioned, but some place in in Canada that they they filmed it. Oh yeah, it's some probably small town BC. <laughs> I'm sure if you looked at it, it's like, hey, isn't that from a Hallmark Christmas movie? Well, I guess that sign cost two million dollars because that that's what Bob Shea said. I mean, that's that's a pretty. It's in a way, it's a very fast but very large set piece that they would have had to build for this. Like, mm-hmm. I'm surprised they didn't think of something smaller that they could have done. Yeah, right. It. I mean, it is pretty involved, especially with you know the bus that misses him and hits the thing, and then the other thing hits and the other thing, and it's a lot more uh, involved than I would expect a quick reshoot would be. I guess I just wish that we would have seen that fucker die. I mean, honestly, I just really wanted to see him die. <laughs> <laughs> I think, honestly, if this had been two or three oh, yeah. and above, you 100%, it would have, like, his body would have splattered the screen, and then it would have gone... There like, would have been, like, two legs standing yeah. there with, like, you know, his, his crotch, and then it would just fallen over, and that would have been the end of... Yeah. Well, because two ends with, you know, the um, Noel Fisher getting blown up at the barbecue, and, like, the arm falls. Three ends with the sub- them all getting killed in the subway. Four, I don't remember how four ends. Wasn't that a theater? There, there's a theater scene in it, but I don't think that's how it ends. Like I'm talking about, like, the, like okay. how does it cut to credits? Um, yeah. And I, and of course, we all remember. No, how. five ends with them getting on the plane. Yeah, that's what the other passengers. Yeah. yeah, and then like the the landing gear falling on the last remaining character. Yes. Right? Oh no. So th- that's the joke in five. So because you know the the whole gimmick of five is you know oh if you kill someone you get their remaining years. So like if you killed someone who was five and then they live to be 80 you would get 75 more years on your life and the joke in that movie was that this guy accidentally killed someone and then he finds out that the guy had terminal cancer and was set to die any day 
Oh, that's right. <laughs> and that's when the landing gear falls on him. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. So dark. It's uh, yeah, and that, uh, like that and that movie does kill off all of its main characters. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. So, do you guys want to play a Final Destination game? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so obviously we've been talking about them at length. This entire franchise and this film included likes to kill off its characters in very elaborate, ridiculous ways. But they the condition always seems to be that you have to be more or less alone or with only one other person. So I would like to know if you were a character in the Final Destination world, how would you have died today? Well, okay. So for me, uh, we had a really, really terrible rainstorm here. Uh, like just I couldn't see anything with the wipers. So it probably would have been... Um, I, I had to stop on the, on a, like a toll bridge to cross over to my area because there's so much flooding in the rest of the, the plains area that I can't take my normal route home. So it probably would have been, I was on the, the bridge and, and the bridge would have started collapsing and it would have been basically like Final Destination 5. All right. I'm going to go a little more boring with mine. So I have a rather large Blu-ray wall that I do have secured to the wall with a screw. But I'm going to imagine that death would unscrew that screw. And as I went to go pull a movie out, it would fall on me and crush me. But then, but then, I wasn't dead and my head was exposed. And the Blu-ray shelf was only covering me from the neck down. And then my TV, which is right by my Blu-ray shelf, then fell on top of my face. That's a lot more exciting than mine. I don't know how this would be constructed and like how this would happen, but it would happen. I would hope that a Blu-ray would actually fall into your open mouth <gasps> as you were screaming. Oh, no, no, no. And then the TV would push it yes! down. Yes! No, that's right. Yeah. Yes! And, and the TV, yeah. The TV hammers it into my mouth and splits my jaw open. Yes! <laughs> and then the DVD in question is Final Destination. <laughs> Obviously. Sure. Actually, it's the it's the it's not just it's one through four. It's the box set. <laughs> I think it's just the fourth one because yeah. it's so good. No, oh my god, no, 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 yeah, no. So the Blu-ray case opens up, and the disc for the fourth movie slides out, and like somehow has enough momentum to slice off the top of my skull. Hell yeah, <laughs> I'd watch it. Found Destination Six right here, guys. There you go. Jeez. Oh, uh, I mean, the other the other question I could have asked would have been like, who are you? Who do you cast in the remake of this? Because no. of course. We have a new Final Destination en route. They've already announced that they're going to reboot the franchise. They've announced it. I will believe it when it starts production. Like, oh, I 100% like this of of all of the horror news that comes out. I I would put this in the top 10 of things that will guaranteed happen because there is money to be made on this franchise. I mean, uh, granted, I know I mentioned at the top, you know, that the um, the fifth one didn't do as well opening weekend as the fourth one, but it still made a decent amount of money. Like it didn't like it wasn't as good as the fourth one because it it actually had the 3d cost, but you know, it still made it. It still made money to me. This is a goodwill franchise. Like when you talk about final destination, you're more likely than not to encounter people who like this franchise or love it. And particularly because the franchise ended on a high, I think there's a lot of people who are like, you know what? I'm back for more gory deaths, reboot it, start afresh, like, tell me something new, and I'm in. Yeah, and I mean, if you haven't seen the fifth one, I mean, obviously we spoiled it for you, but that fifth one, I mean, how how many fifth entries are considered as good as Final Destination 5 is? Yeah. Like, how many are even watchable? How many went to theaters? (laughs) 
And, uh, and like you said, the Dream Child from Nightmare on Elm Street. That's so I, good. I don't think anyone would agree with you on that, but <laughs> no, I, I don't agree with me on that. <laughs> no, but, 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 and, and you're right, Joe. Also, going out on a high note, how many franchises, horror franchises, especially, go out on a high note besides Scream with Scream 4, of course? Yeah, right. Well, and I would argue that's actually the other one that's there's an opportunity to reboot that, but they never will because they've got the fucking TV show. Nah, maybe. I mean, the third season is probably never going to see the light of day. Yeah. When is the third season coming out? It's supposed to come out like for two years, right? Yeah, pretty much. There's a story there. (laughs) I'm sure there is. So, do y'all have any more lingering thoughts on Final Destination before we get to housekeeping? I still like it. It it started slower than I remember, but as soon as the plane, as soon as he has his vision from then on, I'm all in. Like, the characters are really annoying, but then after the crash, things come together, the deaths are good. This one, I think, has the most like well-formed emotional components of the entire franchise. And mm-hmm. for that, I, I give it credit. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I think from a emotional storytelling perspective, this one is probably my favorite, but from a, a death perspective, um, I, it, it doesn't hold a, a candle to yeah. some of the uh, later ones. And I think that's probably why I never revisit this one. I'm sorry, why I don't revisit this one as often as, you know, two, three or five is because that emotional core, I would say as just taken purely as films, like each of all these Final Destination movies, this one's probably the best one. Um, however, like I rank them as like five, three, two, one, four, but like a really large gap between one and four. Cause I still like one a lot, but it's because it does kind of, this sounds silly, but it's more character focused. Uh, it's just not as fun of a watch as those later entries. Yeah, you're not getting those ostentatious kills. And you're right, Joe. It is the beginning is slower. It. I think that honestly, to get through the end of the plane crash to like past when they're out of the um the interrogation rooms, it's like 25 minutes of this 98 minute movie. Yeah, whereas typically you're like what five minutes in and you've had the vision, and then they're like, oh shit, I gotta change this. Yeah. I still think two is probably one of my favorites because it is so freaking mean spirited. And that's the kind of humor that I like. Like it, it, it goes full gallows humor with that one. It really does. And to be honest, I, I actually think the opening of two is my favorite of all of them. It, it's because the most terrifying. It's terrifying. Like it scared my sister from driving on the highway. Well, it's the one that has all the memes. Like, so there's so many memes about the, the the truck now that like yeah, it's 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 lingered. I think it is the the ending that has lingered the most in everyone's mind. But but here's the thing with two. So I, where two lacks is the second that clear dies. The whole climax of you know the girl like oh I have to yeah. drown myself and kill myself and blah blah. All of that is so boring. Meh. It's yeah, and yeah. so the, the, really for me the second one ends the second clear dies. Whereas I think the third one has a pretty good, like, pacing. Like, there's not really a lot of pacing issues in that third one. Well, and arguably, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is a much better final oh, yeah. girl. Yeah. As opposed to that chick from number two. AJ Cook. On... Yeah, AJ Cook. I don't even know who that is. Uh, Criminal Minds, I think? Yeah. She's on some, like, or was on some procedural. She also is in a really terrible Canadian slasher franchise <laughs> called Ripper Letter from Hell. If you ever want to check it out, it's awful. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Sounds amazing. I mean, it's like awful, but also amazing. But yeah, okay. she she's like a baby. So, <laughs> Well, 
that will conclude Final Destination. So before we get to our actual housekeeping, though, Terry, is there anything you'd like to plug for yourself? Okay. Well, when this drops, I will be halfway through, about halfway through, um, my Pride Project, which is um, I have a bunch of uh, LGBTQ authors, including Trace and Joe, hmm. who are contributing articles um, all month long. And I am also doing, we're also doing a uh, a fundraiser for the Trevor Project. So check out uh, gailydreadful.com and you can follow me on Twitter where I spend way too much time of my life <laughs> and I talk too much. <laughs> you don't. You're fine. You're really uh, I say that, but I've been blocked by people for talking <laughs> too much. Uh, so. I mean, see, but I don't know why. I, I've been blocked by people and I've been un- unfollowed by people. I just don't know why. So I wish there was an option for them to tell you that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, we'll just kind of go through some stuff. If you want to reach me on Twitter, you can reach me at Trace Thurman. I'm at B Stole My Remote. That's the letter B. And of course, if you're tweeting about the podcast, please use the hashtag HorrorQueers, or you can email us at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. If you have two seconds, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a rating, or if you have a bit longer, leave us a review. And of course, we also have our Patreon if you want extra content. Uh, you can go to patreon.com backslash HorrorQueers, where we've got our latest bonus episodes on the perfection and ma and in just a few weeks we'll have an episode on the first three episodes of amc's joe hill adaptation nosferatu which not to uh to interrupt or anything but i'm a i'm a patreon and i it's definitely worth it guys oh not saying that because i'm getting paid (laughs) no we can't afford to pay anyone (laughs) (laughs) um but thank you and uh joe what what are we covering next week i'm so excited Okay, so we kicked off our six-week franchise marathon with Final Destination, and heaven help us, next week we are going into killer doll territory, so we're going to watch Don Mancini's 2004 feature film debut, Seed of Chucky. Oh man, you guys have a lot of fun with that one. I've never seen it. He's never seen it? Oh no, Joe! (laughs) Of course, I've never seen anything, apparently, according to this fucking podcast. (laughs) It's crazy. Which you are also forgetting, just in time for the remake of Child's Play. This will drop two days before Child's Play comes out. Which... As we've repeatedly discussed, we are not financially supporting, so that is why we're going to do Seed of Chucky, because it is a Don Mancini joint, and we support Don Mancini as a out queer man who has been shepherding a franchise for more than 30 years, literally the only person who is still in charge of their franchise from the 80s. Yeah. It's crazy. So yeah, so Seed of Chucky, I've heard crazy things. Oh, we have I am so much to talk excited. about. <laughs> oh, it's a thing. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) So, yeah. On that note, I believe we can cross out Final Destination. Yes, and cross out Horror Queers. This episode was brought to you by the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, delivering your weekly horror podcast fix. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit bloodydisgusting.com backslash podcast network.